Hello and welcome to Still No Plan. I'm Jordan Granger. And I'm Autumn Webb, and we are so happy you're here. I want to know what are you consuming? What are you reading? What are you watching? Who are your favorite people on TikTok? Maybe those are my three questions for you. Those are good ones. Okay. Watching. My mom and I are binging the Vampire Diaries right now. (laughs) It's so fun. My mom is recovering from a minor surgery. And so we've just been like on the couch for three days and we are deep in the Vampire Diaries. Honestly, so amazing. I saw someone on TikTok. They were like, this is how my mental health is based on the show that I'm watching. And they like went through all these things and they were like vampire diaries. And they were like, surprisingly, this means my mental health is really good. And I was like, that's how I feel. Like I only watch the vampire diaries when I'm in a good place. So, um, and then reading, I'm reading, I've been reading a bunch of like alcohol free books. So I'm reading this naked mind and the sober girl society handbook, which is awesome. I, This Naked Mind is like much more physical and gets a lot into like literally how alcohol impacts you. And the Sober Girl Society handbook does as well, but it's more of a holistic picture. I feel like if I was going to write a book about my drinking journey, it would be this book. I'm so obsessed with the Sober Girl Society book. I think it's like so... I'm just like, this is every page. I'm like, yeah, like fucking same. And so it's definitely really interesting to read. And I think going at like reevaluating my relationship with alcohol and she's completely sober. So it's a little different in that vein, but reevaluating my relationship with alcohol without the support of like AA or something like that is kind of an interesting thing because I think that's one of the biggest things that AA does is give you a community to talk Mm -hmm. about with like these things with. And like, I mean, you're really supportive and Kai's really supportive. So I have people to talk to, but it's like not the same as like people who are feeling exactly what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what I get by reading this book. So that has been just like so nice. I feel like I have a bestie right now. So that's been good. I feel like I'm consuming positive content and feeling good about it. What about you? I am watching. So I'm kind of like not on the TV grind lately. I don't watch TV on weeknights normally, only on the weekend. But with my triathlon training, I've been so tired on the weekends that I can't even stay awake for a show. So my... Watching has been only on the bicycle because when I do like a two-hour long bike ride, I can just binge whatever I want. So in those time frames, I've been watching Inventing Anna, which is fun, the Anna Delvey one. And I've also been watching um, Tommy and Pam, which I really like watching that. I think that's super cool. And those are just like fun shows. I don't really like – I don't feel too attached to any of the characters or the storyline, but they like are fun to watch and engaging Mm -hmm. and they don't make me feel like I want to be on my phone while I'm watching them. So I like them for that reason. I am watching Les Mis tonight because I just had a craving to do that, even though it is a weekday. That's cute. I have been half watching that for a good chunk of the day. (laughs) Wait, I love that. Um, Let's see, reading. I am reading... Love People Use Things, which is a Mm -hmm. guide to minimalism and throughout your entire life, not just in like what you own, but, you know, the people that you have in your life, your social media intake, 
kind of it's like a whole mindset shift. And I've been highlighting all the quotes that are like, yes, this feels good to me. And I'm highlighting so much of the book. It's been such a good read and helped me in my mindset with consuming. And um, Mm. because I think that's one thing that I've always hated about social media is whenever I'm on it, it makes me feel like I have to buy something in order to be happier. I'm like, oh, if I get this, then my room will be perfect once I get this one picture frame or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really helped me. One of the big things they preach is like, if you don't need it in the next five minutes, like, do you actually need it or like, probably not, you know, if it's not something that you need right now. And also I just moved rooms. So it was good to be reading this while I'm decluttering. Like one of the principles that I was talking about also, I have so many things that I would keep like a, oh, someday I'll need this Mm -hmm. just in case sort of thing. And there they preach to like throw away all just in case things if they're less than like $20 because the odds that you're going to need it in the next six months are pretty low. <laughs> and yeah. so I got rid of all the just in case things. And now everything in my room actually has a place, which feels really good. And I don't have that much stuff in storage. So I love that. I'm also reading the Sober Girl Society, which has been really fun. I haven't really thought about reevaluating my relationship with alcohol until like you <laughs> – we're kind of doing that. But I think mm-hmm. subconsciously I've been doing that for a while. Like when COVID started, yeah, you have. Sean and I didn't drink like the entire lockdown and I didn't really feel the desire to. I just don't really feel attached to alcohol. And so it's a fun read. And I think reading this is going to inspire me to me read more like sober or damp content. And I think I'll probably yeah. – continue to venture down that road. I don't know what that means for me. I still like a good drink, but I don't know. I think it's it's just good to think about things. Like I think a lot of people um, don't ever take the time to even think what does it bring to my life. It's just so mm-hmm. automatic to them that they don't even mm-hmm. think, do I actually enjoy this? Does it actually make me feel good? So yeah. I think it's good to kind of evaluate what your real values and priorities are. So I'm loving reading that book too. And I was thinking when I was reading it, if Jordan was going to write a book on her journey, I think it would sound exactly <laughs> like this book. Her, like the way she's wording everything, it is sounds similar to the way that you would write, I feel like. And so yeah. the whole thing, I've just been really loving reading it. I thought I was like, didn't have any real expectation with when I started it, but I've it's exceeded my expectations kind of. So yeah. I'm really liking reading that book. On your book, um, what's it called? Love, Love People Use Things. Love people use things. I feel like I did that same thing with Marie Kondo. I like cleared out all my shit. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like the thing, I mean, Marie Kondo, because you have to do so much, like it definitely shifted my mind on like what I'm going to buy because I was like, am I just going to like fucking have to do this all over again next year? It took me like a full like weekend of work to like mm-hmm. clear out my shit and I don't want to just do it again. So that made me more mindful. But I feel like when you're moving, especially you like moved into a much bigger space. It's so easy to just buy and like go on a buying spree and be like very not mindful about it and being like, Oh, that might be nice here. And so I think it's great that you're reading it now because you will also be like mindful. Like, do I actually need it for my space? Like there probably are some things you're going to need to buy for your space, but like being intentional about what those things are. I feel like spending is just such a stress and like money is a stress for everyone. And like having financial security and wellness 
is one, a privilege and two, a huge, like huge part of like overall well-being and Mm -hmm. wellness and all of that stuff. So I think it's great that you're reading that. I honestly am interested to read it. Is it like a good read? Do you like enjoy the, the writing style and stuff like that? Yeah, I really enjoy reading it. I get excited to read it and I think it's like actually helped shift my mindset on a lot of these things. Like I haven't even fully decorated my room yet. I don't have like stuff on all of my walls because I'm just like really trying to be mindful about what I do end up buying. I don't want to buy something Mm -hmm. just to have it. And also I don't mind having a blank wall. Like it's kind of peaceful in a way to just have less going on. So I don't know. I'm kind of like, do I even want to spend like $200 on these big paintings or pictures to hang up on the wall? Like, I don't know. That's going back to the financial health thing. I'm like, would this $200 be like, is it worth it to me to have a painting on the wall? Or is it just better if I just put it in my savings so I can go on a trip to go visit you or, you know, do something that I really want to do an event that I want to do? Like, I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, it ties back into financial health and, I think it's helped me with that a lot on how to save and budget because I'm like, no, I don't need that. It's not worth it. Yeah, that's good. I think that is hard. People get so, me, I am people, get so impulsively spending. (laughs) I know you are people, but like it it just gets so impulsive and like out out of control, honestly. Like fucking Target eats me alive. <laughs> I know, I know. Now that I'm in merchandising, I'm like, yeah. Want to almost want to work at Target to see how they do it. Like it is crazy. There's so much science behind it. It's all intentional. Like they are trying to drive the dollar spend. Like which that's what they're doing. They're a business. It makes sense. But like you said, we have a caveman brain, and the caveman brain falls for it. Caveman brain doesn't care about you not wanting to work for your entire life. K-Ben Brain wants no. to have that hit of dopamine when you buy that thing and then you're probably not, not even going to use it ever. <laughs> well, like the Sephora minis section when you're standing in line is the highest grossing part of the entire store, which oh, yeah. is, I I try to find something to purchase every time I'm there. I'm like, I'm looking, I'm on the hunt <laughs> and my little caveman brain is going to be fucking stoked when I find like, Oh my God, it's my mini, I don't even know what, like my mini Olaplex oil as if I don't have like fucking six of them laying around my house. <laughs> like, I think the thing that's helped me the most with that is Target. I used to have a problem at Target. And so I got to a point where I only allowed myself to order online and pick up or get it delivered because I couldn't fall good. in the trap of Target. And Sephora, I'm the same way. So with, with stores that I know I'm going to spend more than I should more money than I have allocated in my budget to spend, I order online. Or if I know I'm going to spend $200 at Target, but I want to spend that, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I am going to do this today and I'm going to spend the $200 and it's I've budgeted mm-hmm. for it and this is like fun money for me. It's not like, I don't know. I have to, I know when I'm going, I'm going to spend the $200. I'm not going to be like, oh, oh yeah. just this and then I'm out because I will never do that at Target. <laughs> I will never That's do never that at Sephora. <laughs> I did successfully go to Target the other day and just get dishwasher pods, and it was was pretty iconic. <laughs> That's, like, not even, like, a fun purchase. Like, it's not even, like, no. oh, it was a, a treat. I went in for, like, a fucking boring errand and left with just my boring errand thing, and I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and you probably saw 10 things that you wanted to buy. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I literally – I mean, so – 
dishwasher pods are in the opposite corner of the hearth and hand by Magnolia. And I intentionally go the long way <laughs> so that I can walk through that section. But I kind of think like, it's like sitting in the section for a while takes away the entry. Like if I'm just like, if I like mindlessly walk around Target for a while, I'm like more likely to not buy things than if I'm like, import like because then you're just like oh, I only have a second to like grab it but if I'm like looking at all of the things in the section then I'm like oh they kind of like lose their sparkle like they were great at first but mm-hmm. I don't need it I don't need another like fucking little thing for my house <laughs> fucking little thing yeah no exactly <laughs> I saw this one tiktok this is a good tiktok that I enjoyed and at Christmas time they always have like the cutest little home decor things for Christmas and it was this video showing all those little mini Christmas trees they had and this one. the video was like, take the Christmas tree and put it in a different yeah, aisle and see how you like it in the different <laughs> aisle. They know that when you see it with a hundred other mini Christmas trees that you're going to think that's so cute. I have to have one. But when you take it yeah. away and you only have the one on your countertop, it's really not going to look that good. It's not as cute. No. <laughs> yeah. The back section of there's like, I remember during Christmas, there's like the nice front section. And then I went to the back section and there was like some things that were kind of the exact same as the front section, but they weren't as expensive, mm-hmm. but they were like the exact same, but they weren't merchandised as well. And I'm just like, none of these things look as good because they aren't surrounded by like the wreaths and like the garland. <laughs> yeah. It, you're so right though. Merchandising is like all psychology and it's all a hack and they're, they're, they're winning. Well, anyway, we are going to part two of Rana's podcast. We're so excited once again. It's fucking amazing. So buckle up. It'll be great. Yeah, it's equally as good as the first <laughs> one. <laughs> it's equally yeah, as good as really the first is. one, if not better. I mean, it depends what you're more interested in. If you're more interested in like how to figure out your fucking work life or how to figure out your personal life, which if you're listening to our podcast, it's probably both. And if you're in your 20s, it's probably mm-hmm. both. Or maybe any point in your life, it's probably both because you spend almost all your time working. So, um, yeah, I think they're both super exciting and intriguing. And I hope you guys all like it. I would love to transition into kind of your leaving Microsoft and what made you decide. I mean, I don't know. Just go through that journey because I know it was a long journey and I, I want you to cover all of it. And I know you can. So yeah, I mean, improv. you know, I love to talk. <laughs> I totally could. Yeah. So I was in that, that comms role for research and I was happy. I had a great team. I was working with the smartest people in the world. I was doing work that I actually loved and it was good. It was fine. Um, but it just wasn't enough. And I think there was a couple things that hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, one was COVID pandemic, you know, talk about collective global trauma being a great way to understand like what's important to you (laughs) and what you value when suddenly everything is turned off like that in a, in a matter of a couple of days and you're left at home by yourself for months on end. Like it really forces you to, to focus on what actually matters. And I think that was kind of the first hit that I really just stopped and took stock of what I valued in life. And for me, it was a simple community centric life. Like that's all I wanted. And I think once I understood that 
and once I, I actually um, came to be familiar what with the numbers behind what that actually looked like, like running the numbers of my finances of like what a simple life for me meant, I think it started to release some of this fear and anxiety I had around leaving Microsoft, this incredibly high paying world renowned company with all the security and the benefits that it had, because if that's what I wanted, this was wonderful, but I didn't need all of this stuff. And so that's, that was kind of the first thing releasing. Um, then, you know, over the summer after George Floyd was murdered and unfortunately all the subsequent murders after that, and the protests, I think that was another layer of, you know, is the thing that I'm participating in actually working towards building a future that I want to see for myself and for my next of kin? Even if it's not actively harmful, are the systems that they're upholding and participating harmful, even if they as an individual organization are not? And, you know, I think within the, the, realm of big tech companies it was one of the best places to work and I, I they do a lot of incredible work especially when it comes to like our environment and things of that sort but on whole do i want to work for a massive american corporate tech firm and then came burnout i was again living by myself in in covid pandemic time and um I was just spending these days where my mental reality was so far removed from my physical reality. And I couldn't bring these two things back together. My physical reality, it was like I was a damn doll on It's a Small World After All Disney ride where I'm just like walking down the stairs and making my coffee and feeding the cats and sitting on my laptop and then feeding the cats and walking up, you know, it's the same fucking thing over and over and over again. So mundane, so safe, knock on wood. That's a privilege, but it was. And then my mental reality, insanity at work, insanity on news, insanity in my community, scrolling, 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 so I had nothing to do, nowhere to go. And it was chaos in my mind and total stillness in my body. And I did not know how to integrate those two things together. And after a while, being so dissociated from everything had its toll. And I just got to this point where like, I have no energy to give. I would be just walking around my house completely unaware that there were tears falling down my eyes, like just crying unknowingly to myself. And I was like, okay, I can push through this. You know, I have therapy. I've been in therapy for at that point a year. Or I can say, you know what? Enough is enough. I need to take a break. And luckily, Jordan and I had one of the best managers around. And I like started crying in my end of the or mid-year review because we're. She was. I think there was like a question on our review sheet that said, "What would be a hindrance hindrance to your success in this next half?" Like based on everything you wrote here, like what's a blocker. And like, usually it's like, we need more resources or like, I need you to go yell at this person. So they'll let me do my job. Uh, <laughs> and I wrote mental health and she's like, yeah. So I saw that you want to talk about it. And I was like, <gasps> and completely fell apart. And she was like, dude, do whatever you need. Take whatever you need. And so I decided to take six weeks off where it was a short term disability leave. Mental health leave is considered short term disability within that insurance policy. 
And I took six weeks off. And for me, the most important thing was collapsing my two realities. I need to come back into a space where my mind and my body are directed at the same things, where I'm thinking about interacting with, talking to, whatever, stuff that is literally in my physical vicinity. So that meant stepping away from the laptop, stepping away from the phone, taking a break from social media. I went home to Florida to be like nurtured and loved upon as hard as I possibly could. I didn't want to have to think about doing my own dishes or washing my own laundry or like, how am I going to find my next meal? I'm like, mom, dad, like take care of me like your child again, because I literally, and thank goodness I have them. I couldn't do anything. And so I went home and it was the best fucking decision I ever made in my entire life. I highly, highly, highly recommend if you are someone who is feeling burnt out, stressed, depressed, anxious, whatever it is, and you work for a company that has a leave benefit, take it. Take it. You don't owe them anything. It is not your job to make sure that the company survives when you take a break. It's not your job to make sure that your coworkers aren't overwhelmed by taking on a little bit extra of, of work when you leave. Those are structural systemic issues that your company needs to figure out. If people can't dip out and come back in as they need to, to deal with their health, that is an issue with the company and the way that they operate. It is not your responsibility to solve that for them. Take that fucking leave. It was the best decision in my entire life because what happened? I finally stopped feeling like my sense of worth was either to produce something or to consume something. Produce, 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 do this, do that, email that. And then the minute work was over, consume social media, social media, content, content, content. I'm like, I, I broke out of that completely. And I just got to live my life as if I was a child again. I woke up every day without an alarm. I had nutritious food. I went for a bike ride around my neighborhood. I put on music. I danced around by my pool. I hung out with my parents. I got to do the things that like, you know, after people's parents passed, they regret they never did. I got to do those fucking things. I sat with my mom for like four hours one day and we went through all of her like family heirloom jewelry and I got to document each and every piece and which sister it was going to go to and, <laughs> and hear all the stories behind it. And like, you don't, who has the time for that? Anyway, while I was on that leave, I came to realize that the things that I was struggling with in corporate America was I didn't feel like I had a place in community. If again, I realized through the pandemic and all the things, I wanted a simple community-centric life, that I wanted the my output to have a net positive effect and be working towards a future that I want for the next of kin, then being in corporate America was not going to help me. I needed to do something that was going to put me in that position. Okay, so then what is it that I do? I love food. I've always had a love for food. I'm Persian. Food is like everything revolves around food. But the thought of having a restaurant never vibed with me. Like I never wanted to sign up to do it. Just It's not my thing. It's not my path. But I had this moment where when I was on leave, one of the first things that came to me about two weeks in was I had this like moment where I finally articulated my own definition of spirituality. So I was finally, my mind was enough at rest. And that was like the first thing that came to the front. And I realized that my definition of spirituality was really deeply related to Ayurveda, which is the nutritional sister science to yoga. They're all born from the same Vedic texts, you know, 3,000, 5,000 years ago. 
And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I've known about Ayurveda because I've had friends who've done the yogi path or have studied Ayurveda. My own culture's relationship to food and food as medicine was deeply influenced by Ayurveda. It was all information that was exchanged around the same time. And I was like, okay, there might be something here because here's something that would give me a different way into food that would allow me to learn more about my own culture, which is super important to me, that could give me an external role in community. I have a function and a role within community that has a net positive effect that's working towards a future that I feel I want to be a part of building. And there's enough potential for me to spend some money to sign up for for courses, right? I don't know if it's going to end up in a career, but there's enough here that I want to learn more deeply. And let's just leave it at that. I just want to learn more deeply. So I did some searching. I talked to some friends who have done Ayurvedic programs. And um, I found this year-long program that was virtual to become an Ayurvedic health and wellness counselor. And I released the pressure of it becoming a career thing. I just did it as an education thing. Within the first two months, it was so clear to me that this is what I was supposed to do that I immediately started making plans to leave Microsoft. And I knew I was leaving Microsoft for about six months. I told them about, you know, T minus four months. And then we told the rest of the work about T minus three weeks. So I was holding on to this and, you know, it was tough, like kind of like senioritis all over again, you know, you're leaving, but like you still have to get the grade and it was, it was challenging, but yeah. Um, I didn't go into that mental health leave thinking I would end being convicted that I need to leave Microsoft. I thought I was going to be at Microsoft for the rest of my life. The first thing I said to my therapist two years ago was like, well, I'm going to be a Microsoft lifer. I just need to learn how to figure out how to manage my stress. And she's like, you're going to be a Microsoft lifer. Let's talk about that. (laughs) I never thought, I truly never thought I was going to leave, but it was only until I gave myself that space and that time to not fill my head with other people's thoughts, to really understand what was important to me. And then to go in pursuit of that joy and that education, then a whole other world opened up to me. And honestly, leaving corporate world, something that I've had identity in for eight years, and not just like identity, but like core to my Mm -hmm. identity, like Microsoft girl in my social network. Um, And then doing this now, I'll tell you, I thought it was going to be scary not one bit scary, full mm. of joy and excitement, emotional. You know, there's a little bit of a grieving, a little bit of a letting go of like something that was so central to you, but it's been great and it's been really fun. And I feel like I just like hopped into like an alternate reality and a universe where like suddenly I get to do all the fucking things I want to do and like wear big chunky Persian gold on a work call and it's like totally fine. <laughs> Not that that's the measure of success, but for me, (laughs) I have felt like an absolute degenerate because I am feeling all of the signs and symptoms of burnout. And I think a lot of our friends are, and we're like, wow, we're (laughs) two years into work and I want to retire. Like what the fuck is wrong with me? But what you said just resonated with me so much of the stillness and the constant repetition of waking up, walking to my literally 10 steps away from my bed is my desk. (laughs) And I like make my coffee. I go on my walk with my dog. I start my day. I stare at my screen. I don't interact with coworkers unless I'm in a call with them. And it's just like, 
oh my God, you just like unlocked something in my brain of like, yeah, of course we are. We all got hired in fucking COVID and COVID sucks and working in COVID sucks. And we are not necessarily work burnt out. We are COVID burnt out. And those are two different things. And I just wanted to go back to that because that like really resonated with me, I'm sure with Autumn and I'm sure with a lot of people our age because we all feel like we're insane for already being burnt out. No, I mean, we are literally doing... I, I don't know if it's like a movie montage or a commercial montage. Maybe it's like a commercial for like Groundhog's an antidepressant. Day. Groundhog's Day. We're like, <laughs> it's like the same pattern of like, turn on the light, brush your teeth. And it's too much. It is too much to have the same four walls where you eat, where you sleep, where you connect with your loved ones to also be the place where you have all of your work interactions. And a lot of the joy of work is community building. It is creating that familiarity with others. And sure, we can do that on in meetings and stuff like that, but it's not it's not the same. And I think um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how long this goes and how long the effects are and what companies are going are gonna to do about it. Because sure, you can find ways to break up the monotony of your day, right? You can find ways to turn certain routines into rituals so they feel like they have more reverence with them, that they're more intentional. But it shouldn't be all of your responsibility to figure out that for yourself if every single person is feeling this way. That's a systemic issue. That's something that the companies and the managers and the VPs who are thinking about the direction of where do we go next? How do we build hybrid work? How do we do remote work? They seriously need to work through that. Otherwise they're going to see insane churn every single year while we're in this thing. Yeah. It, I really feel like so many early in career people are just like, don't have an answer and just feel burnt out and can't explain it. And we all, I mean, not we all, but like in our circle, a lot of us got our dream jobs and we're all very happy at these companies. And we're like, what the heck? Like we checked all the boxes and we're still burnt out. And I think the way that you just explained that explained so much to me. Let's jump jump into Ayurvedic questions. Okay. What is Ayurveda? Well, I think um, an easy shortcut for people who are tuning in is that Ayurveda is the nutritional sister science to yoga. So you can place it within the same realm of beliefs. And the way that they were developed was that um, back in the day when these rishis were, you know, cultivating their connection with the universe and understanding how do we develop ourselves spiritually as, as humankind to get to this greater unification with this cosmic consciousness. Um, Ayurveda was the means to restore health and balance to your physical body, right? It is both a preventative medical science that's really around how do you like optimize your health and keep chronic illnesses at bay. And then if you have an imbalance or you do have some form of disease, restore yourself back to health. So then once your body is in a state of health and balance, you then can do things like yoga, which is more of that discipline and austerity and practice that is more of that spiritual development. You can't focus on spiritual development and that higher vibrational stuff if your physical body is ill, if you're carrying disease. And so these two things were developed um, as scientists together. Now they've kind of gone through Westernization or whatever, through different paths, and you can practice both separately. But really when it comes down to Ayurveda, it's, it's this understanding that 
humans are not separate from nature. We are another expression of nature as our trees and flowers and the rest of the animal kingdom. And because of that, we can look at our systems in the same way that we look at the rest of the natural world, right? We can see that there are different energies that govern the natural world and energy of creation, energies of transformation, and energies of um, destruction, right? These are things that happen in all of us. And what you need to do is get a sense of, okay, within your own body, what are what is the ratio and the prevalence of those energies within your system? What do you carry as an individual? And then once you understand that, how do you keep those energies in balance, right? By the things that you take into your system, whether that's food, that's water, that's breath, that's sensory experiences. One of the things that I love about Ayurveda is that its definition for nutrition is not just food. It's all of your sensory experiences, and the focus is really, okay, if I, if I know what balance looks like to me, how do I choose those things that keep me in balance? And then how do I make sure that I'm optimizing my digestion so when I am taking those things in, I'm getting the most out of them, that I'm not burning through them and depleting myself, or I'm not getting blocked up with them and just creating waste and block up in my system. And it's something that is both a physical, like your actual digestive track, how do you find balance, but then also the mental layer, how are you digesting thoughts, emotions, relationships, and then, you know, you take it further into the the spiritual soul level. Um, It's been really transformative for me because it goes back to how do you learn how to listen to your gut? How do you understand what your center of balance is? How does it feel? What does it look like to you? How does it express in your individual body? Everything is incredibly individualized. Um, And then how do you read symptoms of imbalance? How do you know when it's anxiety versus a gut feeling? How do you understand that acid reflex and bloating and, you know, whatever it is, while they may be tolerable or actual symptoms of something not working appropriately? And how do you know what triggered them? and walk yourself back to center. It's just, it's when I go back to my happy place, I'm sitting on that park bench and I'm observing people watching. Ayurveda is the ultimate form of people watching. It's people and nature watching and finding the patterns and all of those signs and data and signals and making sense of them in a way that helps you have a healthy and vital life. You and I have talked about how there's kind of like elemental associations with different types of food. And I know you made one video and you were like, I had a weekend with friends and there was drinking and there was really like hearty meals. And it was like very, I think you said it was very fiery. And so you made like a really cooling meal um, to kind of balance that out. So can you explain like, even like as specifically as you can, like if, you know, what are those things? What, what does it feel like? How can you tell if a food is fiery? So let's do a little exercise first. Um, it's the summer, right? It's hot outside. Maybe you've been in the park with friends playing tennis or spike ball or I don't know, whatever Friday games that people play in parks. <laughs> um, when you are in that mode, what are you going to be craving in that moment? Heat. You want heat? <laughs> no, I feel like if we're outside in the summer and we're playing games, I'm going to be getting hot and sweaty 
And so and you crave what? What are you going to crave? What are you craving? Ice cold water or a popsicle. Exactly. Your body already does this. Mm-hmm. Your body feels the energy of the environment around you. It feels the energy of your system. Hot, 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 summer hot. So it sends you a craving. I want cold. I want cold. I need to cool down. So this is something that our bodies already do, right? <laughs> the babies. Uh, <laughs> I will never not say hi to a cat in a weird voice. I'm sorry. It's just, I can't ignore it. I can't ignore it. My own cats are like, she's locked us in here forever. Anyway. Um, so, you know, your body already does this. You're in the heat of summer. You're going to crave the cold thing, right? And vice versa. It's cold outside. It's rainy. It's gross. You want to snuggle in with, you know, the Indian takeout or, you know, whatever it is. And so that's, that's something that our body already does for us. It takes in the energy of the environment. It takes in the energy of what we're eating, our system, and then it gives us signals of what's going to keep it in balance, right? I'm too hot, cool me down. I'm too cold, warm me up. So that shows that the environment around us and the food that we eat carry energetic qualities, right? Seasons have energetic quality. The food that you eat has, and your own body has energetic quality. So they're always interacting with each other. When, when you're studying Ayurveda, you come to learn that the way that these energies form is through, and this is just a framework. So if it sounds woo-woo, it is woo-woo, but it's just language for all of us to understand what's what's going on we in our bodies. Woo-woo. Don't I worry. Love woo. I'm like, I'm I'm like woo, not woo-woo. You know, I do a little bit yeah. of the woo, but <laughs> I dabble. <laughs> do I have crystals? Yes. Do I do anything with them? No. no. Uh, <laughs> that's one of the, the primary principles of Ayurveda is that we are not separate from nature. We are an expression of nature. And so the way that we describe nature, we can come to describe ourselves. The way that we do that is through the elements. Air, ether, which is like empty space, earth, water, and fire, right? These are the elements of our cosmos and they are the elements of our being. When these different elements combine, they give rise to different energies. So Think of air and ether coming together. It's a lot of movement. It's a lot of swirling. It's very cold. It's very dry. This is the energy of movement. um, And it's something that is present in our bodies. When you think about when you eat something and your stomach breaks down your food into nutrients, as it gets carried by your bloodstream into your organs, that energy of movement, you know, these elements show up there. Then we have uh, earth and water coming together. Think very heavy, again, very moist. The earth is usually cold. That is the energy of cohesion and binding. The way that it shows up in our bodies is like, you know, the lubrication of your joints as you gain weight. That's the thing that sticks to you. It binds to you, right? And then we have fire, and I would say fire in parentheses water, um, because in your body, there's no dry fire. It all shows up in liquid form. It's the bile. It's, you know, the acid in your gastrointestinal tract. Uh, and that is the energy of transformation. Think of what fire does to things. It converts it. It changes it. It's metabolism, right? And so the first thing that you do in, in an Ayurvedic practice is you understand what is your elemental makeup? What things are most predominant in your system, both the elements and the energies? And so for me, I'm someone where fire is like top to bottom. How does that show up? My infl- my stress response, like the fir- when I'm stressed out, 
the first thing that happens is I get irritable. I get angry. There's an inflammation of my mind, right? In my body, my imbalances tend to look like inflammation. I get acid reflex. I get, I break out. I've had acne throughout my life. I have a warm body temperature. I run hot. People think I'm a radiator. Like my boyfriend is always <laughs> cold and he's like, oh, but you're so warm. Like that's, that's why I have the dominant fire. For people who tend to be airy, you know, their stress response looks like anxiety. It's that hyperactivity, that movement, the constant swirling in their bodies. Those imbalances may look like dryness. It may look like br- uh, brittle hair. It may look like um, they can't, hold on to weight. They lose weight easily and it's hard for them to bring it back up. For the folks who have a lot of earth and water, you know, think they're very grounded. They tend to be super compassionate and loving people, but that grounding can stick. It becomes too much of an attachment. It may be hard for them to let go of things. In their bodies, things stick to them. They may have a hard time losing weight. Uh, They may also be prone to being like, really snotty or have a lot of congestion because again, they have a lot of that like lubricating earth water feeling to them. Right. And so you can use these things to describe yourself and know what you are. And then your foods will also carry those same qualities. And so again, it comes to that seesaw. If I'm someone who's really fiery on this end, right. I don't want to be adding more fire to my system. It's just going to throw me into a balance. When I eat onions and garlic and spicy foods, things that literally carry a warming energetic quality, I am very likely to have acid reflux and to have diarrhea the next day. Sorry if that was TMI, but it's true. (laughs) Things that work well for me is the cooling stuff, the yogurts, the cucumbers, the neutrally spiced foods, things with like cumin and whatever. For someone who's like really airy and swirly and cold and dry, They're going to want to do the opposite. So things that are really grounding and really warming, think like the soups and the stews and the root vegetables, like literally root you to the ground. For the folks who are that heavy earth water congested feeling, they got to break it up. Lighter and drier foods. These are the things like, you know, Mediterranean food is a really great example for those people. The hummus and the fresh veggies and the brightness and the kind of the the pungent things that are like onions and garlic, they're going to break up that stagnancy, right? And so that's that's what all of this kind of teaching is. And it's something, there's a lot of materials published in Ayurveda. I think it's been around the United States for a couple of decades. Um, it's gaining in popularity. I think you can do a lot of research online, but I would also, you know, a same shameless plug for my own business, like, it is a lot of information to consume and it can be really confusing. And so if you know someone who has a little bit of training in it, it's always good to just get them to teach you the things directly. And so what does your practice look like? Like in a, what is a session with you? What would that yeah. look like if you want to, if you're interested in seeing an Ayurvedic medicine practitioner, I guess, is that what you would say? <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a couple levels of uh, folks who are in the Ayurvedic field. There is an Ayurvedic doctor who's an Ayurvedic uh, practitioner who's someone who can help you treat imbalances with like natural remedies. And then there's an Ayurvedic counselor, which is what I am. My focus is much more on preventative. So like, how do you understand what balance means to you? Read symptoms of imbalance and learn how to walk yourself back to center. What is your Ayurvedic constitution? What are the types of 
foods and lifestyle decisions that you should be making that are best for you? How do you structure your day, your week, your month, your seasons to keep yourself in balance with nature as it changes? Um, these are the things that I, I help people with. For me specifically, the thing that I find a lot of passion around is this kind of poor thing that we've been talking about of like, how do you learn how to listen to your gut? And so the sessions that I work with clients is I, I firmly believe we need to focus on physical first because if your actual digestion is not properly functioning, you're not getting the right types of energy and nutrients you need to focus your energy on anything else. Like kind of the same way that the Rishi's thought you, you can't kind of do that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I don't know what he wants. <laughs> He's like, I feed I me. <laughs> I it's it dinner. Oh my goodness. He's like, okay, enough. It's dinner time. I need <laughs> you to like, feed I me. I want to sit in your lap. Thanks. I'm starving. Um, so cute. I feel so bad. I chained mine up upstairs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, if you are not nourishing your body, if you are not feeding your tissues and your gut and all these things, the things that it needs, you're not going to have the right types of energy reserves to do the emotional labor of figuring out where you want to take your career or finding that relationship, whatever. And so with my clients, we do start physical first with the actual digestion. What does balance look like for you? How do we optimize your digestion? Make sure that it's running smoothly. I talk about poop a lot. So, you know, everyone has to get really comfy telling me all the intimate details about the type of poop that they have. And I love it. Um, and then once you've, once the clients have kind of built up that practice of like, okay, this is what center balance looks like, feels like to me in my body. Here's how I identify imbalance and bring myself back to center. That skill set then we apply that to wherever else they need to find balance in their lives. I also have a life coaching certification. So it kind of, it kind of, depending on what people need and what they bring to the table, I can either be a consultant, an Ayurvedic kind of like health consultant, where I'm really being a little bit more prescriptive based on that science of like what you should do more or less of. There's never no's, there's never cutouts. It's always a, a sliding scale. And then there's also the life coach version of me that it's just like, how do I hold space for you to explore your own life and be curious about your own life and ask you questions that maybe get you to think about things in different ways. I'm not giving advice in that mode. It's, it's really just about holding space for you to, to do the things that you feel keep you in center. And so do you do these sessions like in person mainly, or do you do zoom? Is it both? Like, it's both. I think like- the first couple I I tend to want to do in person uh, just because there's a lot of signals that you get when you see someone, you know, even the basic things of like observing your hair and your skin and your nails. These are all data points for me. I'm like a hungry, hungry little data machine, like feed me everything you possibly can and I'll spit it back out to you in like a very coherent framework and system for like how to think about your, your life. Um and so like hungry, hungry data machine, like wants all the data. So the first couple I like to do in person. And then from there on out, it's like whatever people are comfortable with. Zoom is like feeling like the default, just given people are also stuck at home all day working. And if they can fit time in for a session, it's usually in between or on their lunch break or it's later at night. And it's just hard to kind of coordinate all that in-person stuff right now. It's so fascinating to me. And I, I just, I mean, like the theme of this, I would say is just coming back to balance. And I feel like it's really hard to know what your center is. Um, 
And I, I, I mean, you talk about like knowing your food and even when you were saying like, you have to do the food work first before you can even do like yoga, it reminds me of like your hierarchy of needs and you really have to like understand your base before you can do anything else. And I think that's like a big thing with my, you know, taking a hundred days off of drinking is like, what is my normal? I literally have no idea. So like finding that flat line has been incredibly insightful and I'm, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm curious, what does Ayurvedic teaching and practice say about alcohol and how that impacts your body? Yeah. So alcohol is really destabilizing. So similar to like the energetic forces in our bodies, there's also like higher level energetics in like our mental sphere that is um, the energy that of like inertia and stagnancy and whatever the energy of like movement and transformation. And I think it's like a little bit more chaotic. And then this like energy that's kind of like the, the pure truth. It's clear, it's calm. It's, you know, it's what we all are striving for. Alcohol is that middle kind of chaotic thing. And it's something that can really throw people off balance, especially for fiery people where we have a lot of that energy already. It tends to throw us out of balance and out of whack. If you are someone who, um, is a little bit feeling like they're a little stagnant in their body or in their minds, like a glass of wine may be a good thing. One glass of wine may be a good thing to break up that stagnancy or in the winter when we have a lot of that energy of stagnancy and that wet coldness already, we want to counterbalance that. Like there are seasons and there are moments where a glass of wine is like considered okay um, but in general, it's like a very destabilizing thing. And it's something that hampers your digestion, which then hampers the development of your tissues, which then hampers your ability to um, hold on to like a sense of like vitality and health over life. So, yeah, that reminds me of a, of a very woo woo thing that I was reading um, in all of my sobriety <laughs> searching. And it was talking about how someone she's very spiritual and she talked about how like there's a reason they call alcohol spirits and she's like i mm. approach alcohol knowing that it is a chaotic spirit that i am not in control of and i need to the same way that she approaches like her religious spirits she approaches alcohol and it's like the f- physical manifestation of that and i think it's really interesting and it came into like that chaos that you kind of talked to it's like there is opportunity to control and utilize that chaos. Um, but it's difficult and it's, you have to respect and appreciate that that is the energy it's going to bring into your life and you have to know how to handle it. Um, totally. And you have to know where you are first. Like, I think the number one thing that I'm learning in, in, in all of this is like, I think unfortunately the health and wellness space through social media has become a very, curated pastel one size fits all crystal you know burn the sage yogi wellness thing which is really problematic for a lot of different reasons but one of the main reasons is that it really just takes the individual out of the equation completely the stillness and the calmness and the tranquility that works for someone who's feeling anxious and spirally and hyperactive is not going to work for the person who's depressed and who's stagnant 
and can't get anything off the couch, emotions, physical or otherwise, that person needs the movement. They need the activity. They need to break up that stagnant energy first to get themselves out of that. And then to not make sure they stay in that crazy, chaotic, hyper movement space, then they cultivate stillness. And I think what we all forget is like, it just comes out like, what is good for you today in this moment? Even like a yoga class, sometimes they do yoga class like, well, if you can't do this pose, do it that way. The modification should actually be, if you're feeling anxious, hold these poses, go slow. If you're feeling depressed and low, speed it up, move your body quickly. If you're feeling self-judgy and irritable, cool it down, do whatever feels good to you in this moment. Like, And I think we we tend to subscribe to all of these ideas of like what's good to us based on like what we see is packaged to us online without really checking in with like, okay, where are we right now? And what do I need for me in this moment, in this day, in this week, in this month? Yeah. I feel like a lot of it falls into, I should do this. Oh, I should work out. I should go for a walk in the morning or I, I don't know. So I should go to that yoga class, but it's, you have to take a step back and think, well, what, what, what does my body want to do right now? Like genuinely, what do I need in this moment? And I feel like also I just want to take a step back and talk about how you're saying that like a glass of wine can be good sometimes or yoga can be good sometimes for certain people. I think a lot of it comes down to intentionality too. Like what is your intention when you do this thing? And I think that yoga and alcohol can be incredibly misused, like used improperly. Like for me, when I first started doing yoga, it was in high school and I would only go to hot yoga and it was, I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to feel good. And I, for years, until this last year, looked at yoga as like a punishing, like Mm. negative. It wasn't a grounding experience. I felt like it was painful sometimes. And I never even thought about the breath work of it. And this is like the first year that I've done yoga where I'm like, oh my gosh, doing breath work feels so good. I forget about what my body's even doing when I'm doing yoga. I feel like I'm just meditating when I'm doing yoga, which I think is what I should have been doing the entire time, but I had the wrong intention. And same with alcohol. I think if you're like, oh, I'm, it's a big event. I want to have a drink with everyone and celebrate. That can be good. But if you're like, oh, I want to black out and forget and numb, like then it's that's where it gets bad at the same time. Totally. I'm so happy that you you rediscovered a, or you discovered a different relationship to yoga. And breath work. Wow. Talk about one of the most powerful tools that we have at our disposal, our breath. So underutilized. Oh my goodness. I'm cutting myself off from a major source of like life and vitality by improperly breathing for the majority of my life. Like we are all not really breathing the way that we should be. And it is insanely, insanely powerful when you breathe in the right way, what kind of energy and calm that you can bring to yourself. Highly recommend everyone checking it out. Yeah, I think I just read something about the dangers of westernizing these uh, philosophies, I guess, because our culture tends to break them up into just like the parts and not the whole. And so many of these philosophies are so specifically about the whole, like the parts don't work. (laughs) And I think um, yoga is a great example of that. I think people and I agree on them like for so long it was just like a fitness thing and I can feel the difference when I'm in a class and I'm like oh 
I'm paying attention to my breath work. I'm doing what my body needs or like, oh, I'm trying to challenge myself. I'm pushing myself too hard. And like the way that I leave that class feeling when I do what my body needs and when I breathe into it, oh my God, it's like, it's life changing. And it's crazy how we just, we don't know enough about it in Western cultures. Well, this has been phenomenal. <laughs> we are probably going to have to have another one with you. <laughs> uh, like, once like again, Thespian Rana loves to chat about <laughs> so, Sign me up anytime. Whenever you want to chat, I'm here. I know. Yeah, like, we need to do a part three, four, and five. We didn't even ask a lot of the questions. Know, now you're talking about breath, and I'm like, well, I want to know about the breath. I've been talking for two hours. <laughs> We do want to give you the opportunity to shamelessly plug yourself. So if you want to plug your social handles and your business. Yes. Um, So my business is called Lily Jade, L-I-L-I-J-A-D-E, two words. Uh, That's an homage to my parents. My mom's maiden name is Jalili and my last name is Amjadi. So it's my way of carrying them forward into a new and modern context. Um. I am a holistic wellness consultant and life coach in the making, wrapping up some of my my education the next month here. And my whole purpose is to help you learn how to listen to your gut, um, both your physical gut and your intuitive gut, and explore the connection between those two things so that you can understand what balance means to you and keep walking yourself back to center, no matter what context you're in in life. So if that's interesting to you, um, you can reach out to me at info at, LL, at info at lilyjade.com or you can follow me on Instagram at lilyjadewellness or on TikTok at the same handle. And yeah, message me, follow me, check me out. I'm going to be, <laughs> check me out. I'm going to be um, opening up a new cohort of clients in the springtime. So like late March to late May um, at a very discounted price because these are my, my warm up cohort. Um, so if you're interested in being a part of building something with me, I would love, love to have you, but yeah, I'll be around. Hit me up. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Still No Plan Pod. See you, See next, you next Wednesday. Wednesday. Woohoo!